what comes into your mind when you hear the word church? When I say church, what do you think of it? Maybe the better question is, what comes into the mind of our family and our friends and our co-workers and our neighbors when they hear us say the word church? What do they think about? What do they imagine? I know for me, it's a mix. Like, it's not just all good, it's not just all bad, it's a mix of things. I mean, there's moments of community and purpose. I can think of people who have greatly impacted my life and said the whole trajectory of my life came from church. But at the same time, there's lots of memories of boredom, anxiety, and even betrayal that come to mind when people say church. Um, I conducted an, an informal survey on my social media accounts, and I just asked people, what do you think of? What comes to mind when I say church, when somebody says the word church? Here's some of the things that people wrote online. Hypocrisy, self-righteousness, narcissism, a lonely place where I can't be myself, a place where I look for gracious and loving connections and found none. Ouch, that one's really hurt. Judgment, manipulation, just another business after my money. Um, some of you have probably thought some of these things, right? Some of you probably think maybe some variety of things. Maybe you're watching online and when you hear church, you're like, yes, that's exactly what I think of. Or when my coworker or neighbor or family mentions church, this is what I think of. Um, the people all around us, the people that we work with, that we hang out with, the people that we live with, the people in our community have a good mix of these kind of responses when we say church. There's probably some people who think of like a Homer Simpson dean and his volatile relationship with church. If you've ever watched The Simpsons, Homer's not a big church guy, right? But that's really a good indicator of how our church, our culture feels about church. Many of the people that we're around every day, when they hear the word church, they don't think something positive. They don't think something encouraging or life-giving. They think, oh man, that's the place where I was stabbed in the back. That's a place where I was betrayed. That's a place where I was kicked out. I was isolated from. They have some bad thoughts that come into mind. Um, the way we do church in North America, I think, has to change. Because the way we do church in North America leads people to speak negatively of the church instead of positively. The way we're doing church is giving people these thoughts about church. So I think the thing we need to do if we want to change how people think about church is change the way we do church. Um, when I put this survey up on social media, I said, just be honest with me, be rude, tell me about church, and people wrote these things. I had a couple of Christians actually message me, and they were like, look, don't get discouraged by those comments. You know, non-Christians just don't understand the church. Um, actually, I think they do understand it, and that's the problem. Like, many times we are hypocritical and self-righteous and narcissistic and lonely and judgmental and manipulating and just about money. See, I don't think non-church-going people are attacking us. I think they're realistically describing us. And that's why I think church has to change. I heard one podcaster joke this week, the Christians are coming is not exciting news for most of our culture or community. Like, if people were like, hey, Christians are coming, people like, oh, snap, they're going to they're gonna complain about the way that I'm doing this, they're going to yell at me for what I'm wearing, you know? People don't get excited when we hear that Christians are coming here most of the time. Um, historians credit the Antonine plague in 200 AD with widely spreading Christianity throughout the Roman Empire. They're not quite sure what this plague was in 200 AD, but historians estimate that 5 to 10 million people died, possibly a third of the Roman Empire were wiped out in this plague. 
and the rich and the powerful and the influential fled the cities, but followers of Jesus followed his command to do to others what they would want done to them, and they stayed behind, and they cared for the sick and the dying, and Christianity took off like wildfire after 200 AD. Before 200 AD, they're persecuted mercilessly. After 200 AD, they love the sick and dying so much, everybody wants to become a Christian. When they said the Christians were coming in the Antoine play, people got excited. Here's somebody's going to care for me and love me. Jump ahead a thousand years in history, and Christians marched around the Holy Land going into faith, raping and killing and taking land that belonged to native people, all in the name of God. The Christians are coming meant something very different in the Antoine play than it did in the Crusades, right? Same apparently group of people, very different mindset, very different methods. And I think future churches must recapture the mindset that the church had in the Antoine play and abandon the mindset it had in the Crusades. We win through selfless acts of service like our Savior did, not through conquering other worldviews through force and violence. And so over the last two weeks, we've been exploring mindsets of the early church. Like, how can we think like the early church did? How can we learn from them? And so we've been looking through the book of Acts, the Chronicles of the first churches. I believe the vision Jesus had for this countercultural community that acted like family and lived and loved like he did, I think it can change the world. And I think it's a beautiful ideal worth fighting for. And I think, you know, some of my friends are just like, man, church is messed up. I'm just done with it. I think it's too beautiful to just be done with it. Let's fight for it. I think that what Jesus had in mind is worth fighting for. I think future churches will be healthier expressions of Jesus' vision. Because right now we're in the midst of a cataclysmic change. And churches are either going to change or they're going to die. Churches that don't recapture the mindset of the early church simply won't survive. And so today we're continuing to look at these early church mindsets. Mindsets that I think a future church has to have in order to survive and thrive in our country today. And today we're in Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. Starting in verse 12, it says, Many signs and wonders were being done among the people through the hands of the apostles. They were all together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, but the people spoke well of them. Believers were added to the Lord in increasing numbers, multitudes, both men and Women, and as a result, they would carry the sick in the streets and lay them on cots and mats so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of that. In addition, a multitude came together from the towns surrounding Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, they were all healed. And then the highest priest rose up, he and all who were with him, who belonged to the party of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. And so they arrested the apostles and they put them in the public jail. But an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail during the night and brought them out and said, Go, stand in the temple, tell all the people about this life. And hearing this, they went back to the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now, did you catch that little note in verse 13? What did the people say about the early church? They spoke well of them. People don't speak well of churches or Christians today. It's just not something that happens very often, right? That's not the common response when people say, oh, you're a Christian, you go to church. Like, it's usually something negative that comes into the mind, not something positive. But this culture was not a pro-Christian culture. This was the same culture that crucified Jesus, their leader. 
This is the Roman Empire that would go on to persecute them for 200 years. This was not a culture that believed like them or, or thought like them or were with them, and yet they spoke well of them because they were doing good. They were seen as good for the city and the community, even by those who wanted to join them. The general population saw them as good and as doing good. And can't we just assume from that that our culture does not see us as good because we are not good and we are not doing good? My mentor, David Pearson, used to ask me constantly when I started Horizon Community Church. He asked me this question. Every time I saw him, he'd text me all the time. He'd call me. He'd sit down with me for coffee. And he'd say, would your community miss you if you suddenly cease to exist? That question haunts me constantly because he said it to me so much. And I try to keep it in the forefront of my mind. I'm convinced that most communities won't even notice if our churches suddenly cease to exist, let alone miss us. Some might even clap their hands and celebrate. And be like, oh, that kind of real estate finally opened up, right? <laughs> there won't be a traffic jam there anymore when people pull into that church. Jeff Henderson started a church campus in Gwinnett, Georgia. And instead of putting up a giant sign with the church name on the property where they were building, he hung a banner that said, Fort Gwinnett. When his core team served in the community, they wore t-shirts that didn't have the church tag. It simply said, Fort Gwinnett. And each week, he and his staff would go to a local business and highlight them on the church's social media page, encouraging people to go there and check them out. Um, because they wanted to see local businesses thrive. What a novel idea. The community where he started this church campus was blown away by this behavior. A church that wanted to help their community instead of just milking their community for their own benefit. They were super interested. They were like, everybody's like, tell us more. Why are you doing this? How does this benefit you? It's like, it doesn't. I want to benefit you. And that seems so alien to people. The church is, in theory, the only organization that truly exists not to grow itself, but to grow everything around it. The church changes the world for the better, or at least it should. And yet, increasingly, our models in the West have become about growing churches bigger instead of about, instead of being about making our communities better. The result is that our communities and cities don't talk well of our churches. Churches are a joke, or sometimes a cause for people to use expletives. Our churches have focused on self-promotion and self-progression, and our communities and cities have noticed. Modern churches aren't for anything, it seems, except themselves. I believe future churches will be for the people outside of themselves. Shortly after moving to the Philly suburbs, I found Rimmar Beautiful, which is a local nonprofit that cleans up the area, plants gardens, hangs baskets of flowers during the summer. If you drink down the lake after or walk down the lake, that'd be fun to see some of their baskets. They run from Rosemont down to Howford. Our church, church has worked hard with them for over four years um, because we want to be a force for good. We want to help people who are doing good before we got here and help them continue to do so. But I will tell you this, the first time I showed up at one of their meetings, and I was like, hey, I'm a pastor, started this new church, I want to be helping you in the community, they were super suspicious. They were like, you just want to get your church name out there. This is just an attempt to kind of slap your church name on something. I was like, no, I don't have to get any credit, it doesn't have to be a church name on anything. And for over a year, they were super suspicious of me. And as I kept showing up and doing genius projects and demanding no praise or attention from my church, they became more and more interested in what I had to say about Jesus. In fact, some of them started asking, so what's your deal? I'm like, no deal. I just 
I want to help the community. I live here. My church is here. I want to be about the community. And they're like, yeah, how does this help you? I'm like, it doesn't. They're like, does this take you in heaven? I remember what shop you came out. Um, and she's like, why are you doing this? I was like, well, we're from a church. We volunteer with the Green Beautiful. She's like, yeah, but why? Is this taking you in heaven? I was like, I see the blood of Jesus did that for me, so I don't have to worry about that. I'm doing this because I love you. She's like, you're weird. You're weird. You know what I'm like, a little bit. Um, but I met one of the local established pastors here in the community who had been here long before me. We had coffee. I told him about the group. And I said, it's been a great way to get involved and talk to people about Jesus. You should come. And so he came out to a meeting with me. He's like, yeah, that sounds great. He comes in. I told him I was bringing him. He stands up, introduces himself, immediately hands invite cards out to everyone, and talks for 30 minutes about how they should come to his service. Um, to this day, he has still, him and his church have not done anything with Rimmar Beautiful or served in any capacity. He essentially said, I'm not here to serve the community. I'm here for you to come to my services. And let me tell you, Rimmar Beautiful was nonplussed. In fact, they suggested, don't bring any more of your pastors right before our meetings. And I was like, okay, I won't. But so often, that's how our community sees our churches. We're in it for ourselves. We want you to come to us, give us your time and your money. We don't care about you. We just care about getting better ourselves. If we want to be future churches, churches that won't just survive but thrive in the unknown future, we have to stop seeing our mission as gathering people in a building for services and start seeing our mission as mobilizing people to serve their communities and their cities you go out from here and serve in your workplaces, in your neighborhoods, in your families, in your communities. That's where you put the action in our um, service teams. The church on mission is not about gathering people in here, but sending others focused people out there. Yes, the early church did gather. We're not going to do away with gatherings. Access told us multiple times as we've been working through this book that they gathered daily to pray in the temple. This chapter clarifies that they met in Solomon's colonnade or Solomon's porch. I think we have the pictures up here of uh, Solomon's colonnade. Um, you can see the artist rendering and then a recreation over here. But it's essentially that shady hallway with all the pillars there. And then you look, that's where we go to meet up every day and pray. But these corporate gatherings didn't drive the growth of the early church. The effect they had on the community and the city Drove the growth of their services. So many times we have this backwards. We're like, if we grow our services big, we'll be able to have more impact. But the early church saw that backwards. Their service grew their services. The way that they served grew their gatherings. And this wasn't a new idea either. About 600 years before Jesus, the prophet Jeremiah wrote to um, the Jews who were carried into Babylon in exile. And let me just set the stage here. This would be like a China conquered America and took us all over to China and left America in ruins. And then they were like integrated in Chinese society, learn our language, celebrate our culture, live in this place as you are now defeated people and you're just part of our country. That's what happened here. The Jews uh, had their culture stripped away, their economic system, and their religion had just been toppled by an enemy state. And so the Jews were naturally like, we need to sabotage this city. We need to take it down. We need to escape and get back home. We need to fight back against this evil, anti-God culture. Instead, God directed the prophet Jeremiah to say something very different. In Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 7, 
It says this. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those that I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses. Settle down. Plant gardens. Eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they may too have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Notice first that God says he carried them into exile. Babylon didn't exile them. He says he did. Israel had continuously in their history um, worshipped idols over and over again. And God kept warning them, if you keep pursuing these false gods, you will eventually come to serve the country that those false gods um, rule over. And that's exactly what happened. They kept serving the gods of Babylon, and pretty soon Babylon conquered them. And so they went away to exile. But something interesting happens in the history of Israel. After exile, Israel never again worshipped idols. They kept worshipping idols, repenting. Kept worshipping idols, repenting. Kept worshipping idols. God sent them into exile for 70 years. They come back. Never again in Israel's history do they worship idols. Exile has a way of purifying our heart of idols. David Kinnaman, the president of Barna, which is a research uh, group, calls the atmosphere the modern Western church finds itself in a digital ballot. We live in a post-Christian culture, and I believe this is an exile that God orchestrated and purged the church of our American Christian idols. This is not a time for us to be like, oh, I'm going to fight culture, it's so evil. It's a time like Jeremiah would say, to plant gardens and to pray for the prosperity of our culture. As a result of finding themselves exiled from a Christian culture to a post-Christian culture, some churches want to fight their communities, fight their city, fight their culture. And I think Jeremiah and God would suggest something very different. Instead of seeing this as an us versus them battle, future churches will find ways to affirm the culture where they agree and find avenues to less and better their communities and their cities. So the question I want to ask is, how do we be for Brimmer? How do we be for Ardmore? How do we be for Havertown, Haverford, Upper Darby, Manion? How do we be for Philly? How do we be a church that's for our community and city and neighborhood? I think Jeremiah gives us some surprisingly relevant suggestions. Despite being ranked 2,500 years ago to the exiles in Babylon, um, he told them, buy houses. Get to know the area, call the home, do landscaping, beautify your neighborhood, eat at local restaurants, build relational connections, multiply and flourish, seek the peace and prosperity of your community and city. Pray for your community and city to prosper. Think about if those are the things that our church was known for. We plant things. We go and eat and celebrate local restaurants and businesses. We build relational connections. We multiply and flourish everything we touch. We're always praying for the peace and prosperity of our community and city. We're working for it. We're making hard sacrifices for it. I mean, if we're honest, most Christians today in our country are known for policing the morality of everyone outside. Our churches have trained us so many times to be the judge and jury on the behavior of others. I think church has to change. If it doesn't, if we Christians are going to be spoken well of like the disciples in Acts 5 were, we have to be known for something different than critiquing how everyone else is living. 
And I think the only critique we should have is how well we serve others, how well we serve our communities and our cities. Our love should critique their hate. Our generosity should critique their grief. I think if we're honest, our churches today have the reputation of the Sadducees, not the reputation of the early church. Did you notice why the Sadducees arrested the apostles? It says because they were jealous, because people spoke well of them, but they didn't speak well of the Sadducees. People had good things to say about the disciples of Jesus and not good things to say about the Sadducees because the Sadducees cared about money and power and influence and policing everyone else's behavior. And the disciples didn't care about money or power or influence. They just wanted to help people, to heal people, and to better their city by talking about the way of life available to all of us as students of Jesus. See, when our culture has negative things to say about the church, we can respond like the Sadducees and say, it's the people's fault. Or we can act like a future church and change what they're right about. Because their criticisms are coming out of real lived experience. Future churches will teach people not to judge the culture by a higher standard than they themselves follow. Future churches will teach their people to be for their neighborhoods and communities and cities. I think churches who are for their communities will build trust with people. And I believe the gospel, the good news of Jesus, moves at the speed of trust. You know why the gospel seems less effective today? Why I look around and I'm like, man, why, why don't we see people having their lives transformed by the story of Jesus, by his message, by the salvation that he offers, the way of life he invites us into? It's not because the gospel has lost its power. It's because the gospel moves at the speed of trust and the messengers have lost the people's trust. And we're the messengers. When I started Horizon, we passionately pursued serving the community. It's one of our core values. We talk about it every couple weeks. We believe the church exists to serve, not to be served. However, 2020 put a lot of things on pause. It was like hard to get people together. People were locked in our home. We were unsure about the virus. Local community groups moved online or stopped meeting for a while. All the unknowns of the virus resulted in it making it hard for us to assemble and serve. We must recapture our mindset of being community-focused if we're going to be a future. I remember I had a conversation with an established church pastor shortly after moving up here and starting Horizon. And uh, he commented on all the community service we were doing, the way we were working with local nonprofits and food pantries and doing landscaping, cleanup projects, and just serving any way we heard about, any way we could. And here's what he said to me right now, much of what you do centers around the community, but eventually, much of what you do will center around the Sunday service just like us. Just like us. I vowed at that moment to never let that happen, but if, I, if I'm honest, it has happened. We're not as centered around serving in the community as we once were. We're a lot more centered around gatherings. And I love gatherings. They're not going to go away. They're important. But we must be centered around serving and helping in the community if we're going to be a future church. Horizon won't survive if we're centered just around a Sunday gathering. Future churches, churches that survive this unprecedented time in history. Churches that will thrive in the future will be centered around serving and bettering the community where they live, work, and play. So the question I want to leave us with is this. This week, how can we be for a community? It's a place where we lay our head down at night, a place where we work, a place where we visit and play and shop. How can we be for Brynmar, Haverford, Havertown, Ardmore, Upper Darby, Maine? How can we be 
for victory. That's what our church is for. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this challenge. Myself, Lord, forgive me so often. I've got so busy with like, it's been 2020 and COVID. I just got to keep this thing going. I just got to keep us together. I've just got to keep it on track. And you remind me, yeah, none of that's my responsibility. That's your I've been trying to do the heavy lifting that only you can do, and I just want to apologize, confess that. It's not my responsibility because this is my church, it's your church. But Lord, it is my responsibility to keep us going the right direction. And I want us to be focused on the people out there, not the people in here. I want us to see us as a mobilization, mobilizing people, to be other focused and serving wherever we go. Lord, will you help us? be focused, to be a church that's focused on being for our community, for our neighbors, and not just for gatherings of people who think like us and believe like us. I pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ.